Greetings! You're listening to podcast number 106 of Blast the Right. I'm your host, Jack Clark. Great to have you on board. Today, on Mystery Untangled, you'll learn why, even though Americans overwhelmingly support progressive policies, Americans don't overwhelmingly call themselves progressives. Let's get right into it. Sources for today's podcast include Harris Interactive Polling, and MediaMatters.org. Blast the Right's last show was entitled Reason to Cheer Part 1, Americans Support Progressive Policies on Most Every Issue, and Our Progressive Majority is Growing Larger and Larger. As the show laid it out, mainstream poll after mainstream poll has consistently shown solid majorities of your fellow citizens, often two-thirds or more, endorse all of these progressive positions. The government should provide more, not less, services. The government should take care of those who can't take care of themselves. The government should guarantee health care for every American. The distribution of wealth in this country is unfairly concentrated. The wealthy pay too little in taxes. The minimum wage should be raised. There's a moral imperative to pay workers a living wage. Undocumented immigrants should have a path to citizenship and... Democrats reflect the nation's moral values more than do Republicans. Together, these constitute bedrock progressive principles and policies. The mystery in question here arises when Americans are asked to describe themselves as liberal, moderate, or conservative. Wouldn't you think that if more than half, often two-thirds or more, of Americans espouse these progressive positions, two-thirds or more of Americans should describe themselves given the choices liberal, moderate, or conservative, as liberal. They should, but they don't. Two organizations have been asking this question for decades. Have you seen these polls? One, out of the University of Michigan and Stanford University, is American National Election Studies. It asked, quote, Where would you place yourself on this scale, or haven't you thought much about this? Close quote. In 2004, only 23% of those polled identified themselves as liberals. Moderates self-identified at 26%. Conservatives topped the poll with 32% of respondents. The Harris Poll, an organization you're probably more familiar with, asked the question most recently in 2003. How would you describe your own political philosophy, conservative, moderate, or liberal? Results? 18% liberal. 40% moderate, 33% conservative. So compared to national election studies, Harris found even fewer people calling themselves liberals, a lot more moderates, and about the same number of conservatives. In short, national election studies found 23% liberals and Harris only 18%. If you told your friendly local right-winger that Americans hold overwhelmingly progressive positions on most every issue, your friendly local right-winger could throw the Harris and NES polls back at you. So how should you respond? Here's how. First, many right-wingers are, frankly putting it, in outright denial. They're blind to their own lives. Imagine a person who willfully and happily benefits from progressive-inspired government programs and policies. By their conduct, 
They're implicitly endorsing such programs and policies. They're walking the progressive walk. But they're talking the conservative talk. In their own minds, they don't even acknowledge their use of these progressive programs and policies and instead spout the right-wing line. They're in denial. Does this sound unbelievable to you? Or do you maybe know anyone like this? If you've been listening to Blast the Right for over a year, you may remember what follows. It's worth hearing again. Richard from Illinois recorded an MP3 and sent it in about his right-wing sister. Take a listen. First, Richard sets the stage. My father was a combat veteran of World War II. After he died in 1961, my sister and I, as his orphans, both received Social Security and veterans' benefits until we were 21. This helped my mother raise us. Now, my sister graduated from high school in 1966, then attended a California community college, which was tuition-free in those days. In 1968, she transferred to a branch of the University of California, which was also tuition-free back then. Those veterans and Social Security benefits I mentioned largely paid her living expenses. Without those benefits, as well as the tuition-free schooling she received, thanks to California taxpayers, I doubt she would ever finish her degree. She now lives in Arizona, where she's an active Republican, she tolerates what she calls the liberalism of John McCain and thinks that shows how broad-minded she is. Meanwhile, my mother, with her two children independent, continued to support herself as a legal secretary until 1981, when she was 61 years old. Then the firm where she worked split up, and in the game of musical chairs that followed, she lost her job. Being unable to find other employment, she applied for Social Security as soon as she could and settled into a penurious but mostly free fear retirement. In time, she also received Medicare, renter's assistance, and utility subsidies from the state of California and even transportation assistance from the city where she lived. Now we get to the incident in question. In August 2004, after living in this manner for 23, counting 23 years, she suffered a medical emergency and was placed in a nursing home. Medicaid paid for it, of course. A few days later, I arrived for a three-week visit to put her affairs in order. And shortly after that, my sister arrived from Arizona in her SUV, the one with the Viva Bush sticker on the bumper. The next day, the two of us went to see our mother together. About half an hour after the conversation began, it turned to politics. It wasn't my idea, but any conversation in which my sister is involved tends to turn to politics after half an hour or so. Well, soon my sister took my mother's hand, turned her eyes up as if she were speaking to God, and exclaimed, welfare states don't work. I didn't say anything at the time, but I couldn't get that scene out of my head. Two months later, I wrote my sister a letter asking if she was aware of the irony in the situation. To make a long story short, she was not. In fact, she was so flummoxed that for a time she even denied having received veterans' benefits. 
Apparently, it had never occurred to her that she or her family had ever benefited from the welfare state in any way. Did you find the self-denial of Richard's sister as breathtaking as I did? Now, then let me ask. Do you know any right-wingers who personally benefit from progressive-inspired government programs and don't even recognize it? Or, for example, whose parents get progressive-enacted Social Security or Medicare? You have to understand that the benefits of progressive activism are so prevalent that conservatives don't even notice them. Sort of like a fish doesn't know it's in water until you take the water away and the fish can't breathe. Why don't you listen to this list of evil liberal government doings and match them up with your own cast of friendly local right-wingers who are the beneficiaries? Imagine each one of these benefits of liberal government policies and how many of your right-wing friends, family, and acquaintances you can link with it. Drinking water meeting minimum safety standards, cleaner air, tested safe and effective medications, inspected and sanitary meat, public schools. You think some right-wingers have benefited from those? Continuing on. Workman's comp, unemployment insurance, FDIC insurance, student loans, a Fannie Mae mortgage, safer cars, the interstate highway system, rural home loans and electrification, public libraries. Hmm. You can bet your bottom dollar that lots of right-wingers took advantage of those. And finally, there are the evil government functions that Richard's sister and family benefited from. Veterans benefits, Social Security, Medicare, Free State University tuition, Senior Citizen Transportation Services, Renters Assistance and Utility Subsidies, Medicaid. And you know, the list could go on and on. Of course, not all of these government functions operate perfectly. That's especially so in these times when they're apt to be terribly underfunded. After all, the right wing is actively pursuing its policy, to quote Grover Norquist, of shrinking government down to the size you can drown it in the bathtub. But the point is, probably every right winger you know has benefited from one or more of these progressive government actions I just listed. You can ask them, would they have preferred to do without? I don't think so. Okay, so blindness, their denial of willfully and happily enjoying the benefits of liberal government programs, thereby implicitly endorsing these programs, is one reason people who should identify themselves as having liberal views don't. Another reason for the smaller-than-would-be-expected number of people who identify themselves as liberals in the surveys is one you're probably familiar with already. The word liberal, after decades of vicious denigration by the right, has almost become a dirty word. A recent report issued jointly by Media Matters and the Campaign for America's Future put it this way, quote, Another reason people don't use the liberal label is that the term liberal has been victim of a relentless conservative marketing campaign that has succeeded at vilifying liberals and liberalism. The consequence is that only strong liberals are willing to identify as such. Close quote. I mean, even many people on the left now choose the word progressive instead of liberal for precisely that reason. Myself, 
I distinguish between liberalism and progressivism as philosophies and choose the term progressive on that basis. Podcast 96 went into this in depth, where you can enjoy a great parable about a man throwing babies into a river. Curious? Check it out. Anyway, wanting to avoid the negative associations with being considered a liberal, quote, many people who hold liberal issue positions call themselves moderates or even conservatives, close quote. You got that? Some people who have liberal views call themselves moderates, and other people who have liberal views call themselves conservatives. For example, a person could consciously support policies such as increasing the minimum wage, guaranteeing universal health care, providing a path to citizenship for undocumented immigrants, and fashioning a more progressive tax system. But conclude that these positions are those of a moderate, not a liberal. Why? They reason, these policies are so good and are ones I support, and liberalism is so bad and I can't be a liberal, therefore these positions must be moderate positions, and therefore I'm a moderate. After the break, some solid evidence of this, and the final untangling of the poll results self-described conservatives who actually hold progressive positions. Definitely stay tuned because you'll hear in his own words a self-described ultra-conservative realizing that he supports many positions that are progressive. How does this happen? Under gentle but probing questioning by yours truly. Your one-minute voting report. We're hanging in there at number nine at podcastalley.com. Thanks for voting. If you haven't voted yet this month, please do so. There's a one-click link to do so on the podcast homepage. You get to the podcast homepage by typing in Blast the Right in Google, and I'm the first result. In iTunes, our ratings are improving. If you subscribe through iTunes, please go to the iTunes Music Store and give Blast the Right a five-star review to counter all the one-star sabotage reviews from right-wingers. Again, my thanks. Okay, self-described conservatives who actually hold progressive views. A recent study of ideological self-labeling concluded that, quote, nearly three-quarters of self-identified conservatives are not conservative on at least one issue dimension, size and scope of government, or abortion and homosexuality, and considerably more than half hold liberal preferences on the dominant conflict over the size and scope of government. Simply put, many conservatives are not very conservative. Close quote. If you find this hard to believe, here's a real-life example for you. The Blast the Right live call-in show was contacted by the campaign of John Booty. He's what I call an independent citizen candidate for president. His campaign manager's email boasted that John Booty was an ultra-conservative Reaganite who, quote, makes Rush Limbaugh look liberal, close quote. 
They wanted to know if I'd be interested in interviewing John Booty. Great! Sounded like the perfect guest. So I had John Booty on. Now, from looking at his website, which is John Booty, spelled B-O-O-T-I-E-O-8.com, JohnBooty08.com, I got an inkling that Booty fit the mold of self-described conservatives who actually hold progressive views. In the interview, I wanted to find out. Imagine what a great opportunity this was to check the validity of the polling data. Listen to what happened. I apologize for the not-so-great audio quality. In this first excerpt, Booty complains about lobbyists. The thing we, I'm concerned about is, you know, lobbying power. Uh-huh. And that's, that's why we have a lot of these regulations come out the way they do. Because the bigger the lobbyer, the bigger they can take an influence to vote the uh, Congress to vote one way or the other. I agree with you. You're saying that the lobbyists, which are working for the big corporations, they sort of control... They control too many congressmen, right? Well, the Democrats back last November when they said they got a mandate said we are going to do away with lobbyists, but now all of a sudden they're not they're backing onto that statement. I agree with you. They're not doing all that they said they would do. I because because there's too many of them are corporate Democrats, not as what I would say progressive Democrats. You might not uh, agree with that. So John Booty definitely isn't into the right wing let K Street run the government point of view. Now check this out as I hit booty with that old standby, my Rush Limbaugh, Roosevelt is dead clip. I want to play you a clip, okay, in a uh-huh. second of Rush Limbaugh. Sure. I want to just preface it. Uh, do you have any parents or elderly relatives that are on, for example, Social Security or Medicare? Uh, my, both my parents are gone and my grandparents are all gone. Oh. I, I do not have any. I don't have anybody that's on the Medicare and the Medicaid and that system. Right. Are you you gonna play the one about the med, the medical insurance? No. Uh, well, I'll, well, why don't I play it and you can listen to Rush? It's it's only like eight seconds. Okay. Okay. Hold on. Roosevelt is dead. His policies may live on, but we're in the process of doing something about that as well. Okay. I'm just gonna play it one more time because. Some people don't really hear what he's saying. Roosevelt is dead. His policies may live on, but we're in the process of doing something about that as well. So listen one more time. Roosevelt is dead. His policies may live on, but we're in the process of doing something about that as well. I guess what I wanted to ask you, John, is one more preliminary thing in areas where we may agree. Uh, and I, I asked you about if you had any people who were in your, you know, relatives or anything who, who, who were collecting Social Security or especially Medicare for their medical needs. What, you know, Limbaugh's philosophy is that there shouldn't be Social Security, there shouldn't be Medicare for elderly people. You know, if they don't save for themselves, they're tough. They'll have to either go to the, you know, the church to get charity or, you know, too bad. And I just wanted to ask you, are you in that realm of conservative where you don't think there should even, where you would like to repeal Medicare and repeal Social Security? No, that you'll never see happen. Uh, we need to revamp the systems, but we, we, I don't think we'll ever see them in our lifetime gotten rid of. I right, well, I don't, I'm not asking if it'll happen. I'm just asking if you could press a button. If you were president, would you want to propose to do that, or would you just want to fix them sort of or you know, fix what's wrong with them? But you think there should be some sort of, for example, Medicare to take care of elderly people's medical needs or whatever? Oh, we definitely, as 
as we get older, we definitely need assistance. Right. Uh, and everybody in the system, unless my idea was, unless you've got like ten million bucks in the bank, yeah, you're going to need some assistance somewhere along the way. You know, you're if you got ten million bucks in the bank, maybe you don't need the social security system. Maybe you don't need the Medicaid system. You know, maybe you could opt out in that respect. But you know, that's not for you and me to decide. That's for the individuals involved. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, one of the reasons they don't allow people to opt out is because if all the wealthy and middle class opt out, then it would. This is like a political consideration. It would then become a program for poor elderly people, and it wouldn't have as much support as it now does, where it has a lot of middle class support because, you know. Even middle-class people, their parents, you know, still get help. The $10 million man. Unless you've got like $10 million bucks in the bank, yeah, you're going to need some assistance somewhere along the way. You know, you're, if you've got $10 million bucks in the bank, maybe you don't need the Social Security system. Maybe you don't need the Medicaid system. Does this sound like a right-winger to you? So, Booty's in favor of, understands the necessity for, a government social safety net. He apparently doesn't buy the right-wing fantasy that private charity will pick up the slack were the government safety net to meet the fate Rush Limbaugh desires for it. The ultra-conservative so far is against the power of corporate lobbyists and for a government social safety net. Let me interject here that the pro-safety net position of self-mislabeled conservatives can even become comical. On a recent episode of Bill Maher's HBO show Real Time, Representative Jan Schakowsky, Democrat of Illinois, related the following anecdote. I had a constituent who said to me, I do not want government messing with my Medicare. It's like, hello, oh, yeah, Medicare? Yes. And further along those lines, if you'll recall a while back, I read an email from a listener about how Blast the Right converted him from Republican to Progressive, and it was this social safety net issue and Rush Limbaugh that did the trick. Quote, Your broadcast on Rush Limbaugh and how some right-wingers are like the BTK killer really kind of freaked me out. That first quote, Roosevelt is dead, horrified me because, in spite of my being moderately conservative, I had great respect for Roosevelt and the New Deal. My grandparents were crushed by the Great Depression, especially my grandfather who lost his job and couldn't find work for years. He was saved by Roosevelt's project to build roads through the Smoky Mountains, which is how he met my grandmother. Anyway, that single quote by Rush horrified me and began to open my eyes. Close quote. Good work, Rush. Continuing on with John Booty, I asked him next, about the regulatory safety net, another of Roosevelt's policies Rush wants to kill. The context is regulations on trucking safety, which set a maximum number of hours truckers can drive each week. John Booty's a truck driver by profession and a member of the Teamsters Union. I would say, well, I want those regulations because I want the truckers who are out there to be well rested and, you know, well uh, and able to pay attention to the road, not fighting fatigue. So I would be in favor of the government regulating in that, you know, respect. Do you so? And so, so are the Teamsters. What do you say? Because many conservatives would say, "Nah, the government shouldn't regulate at all. It should just be up to the private industry to regulate itself. The government shouldn't tell them how much, how many hours a driver could drive." So, do you think that it's okay for the government to uh, tell the, 
you know, the companies how many hours its drivers can drive in a row or during a week or whatever? Um, yes, we do need regulations because if we don't have it, if you remember back in my dad's time when he drove truck, yeah, they were pushed to the brink because there was no limits and you were only allowed a 15 or 20 mile an hour period of driving. And there was times you could do, they were able to do more miles than they were allowed to legally log just like we could today. Yeah. Oh, I agree with you. If you let the companies be completely unregulated, they'll squeeze the drivers and work them to the bone and try and pay them as little as possible. You know, you do need the union and you do need the protection. Do you hear how John's talking about how, without regulations, the workers will be pushed to the brink? Just like a progressive would talk. A true right-winger would tell you, oh, it's in the best interest of the company to treat its workers well, and they do that without any regulations. Safety regulations only make things worse. Yeah, and pigs can fly. Moving right along. Let me, there's one other thing that I think we kind of agree on from what I read in your platform, or it might have been in some of your, uh, some of the other pages on your website, which is johnbooty08.com. See, I remembered to say it. I'm getting better at this. Um, you would, you went into a little rant, which I would agree with, against NAFTA, the North American Free Trade Agreement, that it basically has cost us jobs here and that it lets companies, corporations go out of the U.S. And you even said that you would penalize corporations that want to send, excuse me, that want to send jobs outside the United States. Well, where I was at was that is, all right, right now they're trying to come up with this CONFTA, which is the, the south, southern border where it's open and unlimited drivers of Mexican, from the Mexican government and country coming up here un, unsupervised. Right. And we, we can't have that because those people down there, they, have, they don't have logbooks. They don't have drug enforcement. They don't have legal li licenses governed where we do. They're, they have no database to check for anything as far as hazmats, um, criminal records, driving records. And down there, they're allowed to have three and four drivers in a truck. What happens if three or four drivers come up and only one goes back? Nobody knows that. So there's some of the things I'm having a problem with there. Plus, they work for about a third of what we do. If they're working for 15 cents an hour, or I mean a mile, and we're working for 45 or 50, which rate is going to go down? Well, the, you know, you're gonna, the American workers are going to get screwed, so to speak. Exactly. Right. Well, yeah, that's, that was the whole purpose of NAFTA. And, you know, I'll condemn Bill Clinton and any other corporate Democrat who went along with the corporate Republicans to, you know, to to harm the American workers by, uh, you know, pushing that thing through. So, uh, you know, I, I think we kind of uh, agree on that, that NAFTA was, you know, not a good thing. Neither of us are in favor of the workers getting the short end of the stick. We want the workers to get the, uh, you call it the long end of the stick? I guess when you're, what is that, from baseball, where you put one hand on top of the other? No, that's something else. I don't even know what the short end of the stick means, but do you know what it means? <laughs> Actually, I just went and looked it up and no one is certain how that expression arose. At one point in the interview, I wanted to make sure I was overall understanding John correctly. All right, so I just wanted to sum up that so far, even though you're, you know, sort of on the conservative wing of this uh, on, on many social issues like, you know, abortion and gay rights, which we can talk about, you do think that there is a role for the government to have some regulations of the trucking industry as far as safety and things like that that will protect people and protect the drivers. And we're both against NAFTA, 
and you think that there should be some sort of a system in place for elderly people who are poor that, you know, they can't go out and get a job if they're 85 years old. If they need medical help, you know, there has to be something in place, a safety net for them. Would that be a sort of a fair summary of those things? Absolutely. Good. Now the conversation took an interesting turn, as it was John who took up the we-don't-disagree-so-much mantra. By the way, as John later pointed out to me, I misspeak right now when I say makes Rush Limbaugh a conservative. I mean makes Rush Limbaugh a liberal. You and I don't disagree as much as you think we do. But the problem no, no, no. Is... Now, that's what I was going to say to you when I read your website. That's what I said. You and I don't disagree as much as you think we do either, maybe for, beforehand. What I wanted to sort of leave you with, because we only have seven or eight minutes left, and I'll let you speak in a minute about whatever you want. You had said you make Rush Limbaugh look conservative, but actually, to me, you are more a social issues conservative on abortion and gay rights. I think economically on a lot of these things, since, as we said, you're not against regulating trucking for safety. You're against NAFTA. You're for improving but not eliminating, you know, Social Security or Medicare. And you're, you know, in favor of So what I would say is you're more an economic populist in the sense of, you're for the little guy. You don't want the little guy to get screwed. Was that a fair summary, summary of many of your positions? Oh, I'm always for the little guy because, let's face it, you and I are the little guy. Okay, so uh, you got to figure out, is Rush Limbaugh and the right wing more for the little guy or the prog- is the progressive wing more for the little guy? After all, unions came out of the progressive liberal movement. They didn't come out of the right wing movement. But that, that I'll just throw out there for your consideration. But... So I don't think you should tell people that you make Rush Limbaugh a conservative because you're actually, you're not a right wing. Rush Limbaugh is a right wing extremist. You are not a right wing extremist. You're, I think, more a social conservative, which is fine. Everyone has their views. You're more like an economic populist. You want the little guy to get a fair shake, and you think that the government does have a role, you know, to protect us on the roads because you're driving a truck. You don't want some other guy who's been driving, you know, uh, 77 hours in one week, even with the 34-hour rest, you don't want that guy falling asleep. You want the guy to be awake, and I want him to be awake, too, because I'm not in a big rig. I'm in a little car. You, you, you sound like an economic populist to me, frankly, uh, and that's not a bad thing. It means you're on the side of the little guy. You ever feel like you were on a roll? I did. So in this last clip, I made a proposal to the self-described ultra-conservative, in reality, economically progressive guy. Will you do me a favor? Sure. I'd be very curious, if you do have the time. I actually have a lot of truckers who listen to my podcast because they listen to lots of stuff and it fills up the hours. Even though I bill myself as a progressive, and even though you bill yourself as a conservative, we did share some common ground here. And what I'd ask you to do is, if you want to, you don't have to, is to go to my BlastTheRight.com homepage and scroll down the different podcasts that you see there, the, you know, the recorded ones, not the live show, the, the real ones, and find an issue where you go, you know, I may just agree with Jack on that because there's a lot of stuff about, you know, corporate power and the little sure. guy getting screwed, and listen to one of them. And if you find yourself, you know, at all in agreement, you know, you could drop me a line and uh, you know, maybe you could even come back as a guest again and we can talk more about you know, where we have common ground. Because what I frankly find is with a lot of right-wingers, not the Kool-Aid drinkers, but the ones like yourself, and I don't even think you're a right-winger, I think you're kind of a social conservative but a, an economic populist, you know, when we talk, we, we don't you know, have all, all that much disagreement. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely.
Absolutely. And to tell you the truth, even on the social issues, Booty's in favor of civil unions for gays, which is the moderate position, certainly not the ultra-conservative one. You may have noticed I usually use the term economic populist with John, not liberal or progressive. I thought economic populist would be an easier term for him to swallow at first. So as you just heard, not just theoretically, but in real life, there are people who run around believing they're right-wingers, even mounting grassroots presidential campaigns with that being their rallying cry, when in reality, their policy prescriptions have a strong progressive element. And it's important to stress this, John Booty is not an anomaly. Far from it. As you heard earlier, quote, Nearly three-quarters of self-identified conservatives are not conservative on at least one issue dimension, and considerably more than half hold liberal preferences over the size and scope of government. End quote. Before I close, let me tell you about the trends in this conservative, moderate, liberal polling. According to the Harris Poll's decade-by-decade -decade overview of the 70s, 80s, 90s, and 2000s, the average percentages of liberals and moderates essentially stayed the same in all of these decades. It was only the self-described conservatives who grew in numbers in the 70s and 80s and early 90s and lost some of those gains during the Clinton and George Bush years. This means the self-described conservative ranks were probably growing from the undecideds since moderates and liberals were unchanged. That's great news! because undecideds beginning to believe themselves conservatives may likely be the very self-mislabeling Americans we've been discussing, mislabeling themselves because of an aversion to using the word liberal, or, like John Booty, not understanding that the viewpoints they hold are not conservative, but progressive. So, take heart and be of good cheer, you progressive soul, you! Now you know that the majority of Americans do hold progressive positions, even if some of them still ideologically mislabel themselves as moderates or conservatives. As you continue to spread the progressive word, pay special attention to these mislabelers. They're the easiest to reach. Just remember, the vision they see is what's in your eyes. The story that resonates with them is the tale you tell. And the path they want to walk down is the trail you've been blazing as you spread the progressive word ever farther and wider. Well, that'll about wrap it up for today. If you like what you heard, please tell a friend. Tell ten friends about Blast the Right and vote for Blast the Right at PodcastAlley.com. There's a one-click link to do each of those on the podcast homepage. You get to the podcast homepage by typing in Blast the Right in Google, and I'm the first result. And if you subscribe through iTunes, please give Blast the Right a five-star review there as well. A special shout-out to all you Live 365 and Red Dragon 365 listeners. Great to have you on board. Why don't you come over to the podcast homepage, subscribe for free, and you can download and listen to any episode of the podcast anytime you want. Thanks to Ellen in Kansas City and John from the UK for help with this podcast. In case you didn't know, there's a poll on the podcast homepage where I ask if I should continue including the live feed in the regular Blast the Right feed. So, if you want to weigh in on that question, go over there and cast your vote. Music credits. 
The break music was The Schnee Speaks by KG House combined with the alternate Blast the Right theme by Nye's Music and Not the One Blues by Burnsheet Thornside. We'll close with a little bit of You Can't Make It Here by James McMurtry. Links to all the music I play on Blast the Right can be found on my music resources page. Links to all the statistics and quotations I use can be found on my data resources page. Both of them are linked to off the main podcast homepage. As always, thanks to Tom Hartman for the Rush Limbaugh audio clip. I love getting all your comments. Please continue to write to me. My address is rational at roadrunner.com. You can also call in and leave a comment for me to play on Blast the Right. Dial 310-933-5891 and leave your message. You can also leave a message on Skype. My Skype name is Jack from Blast the Right. So, until next time, I'll sign off and say I love you all, including all you right-wing misguided souls. There's a Vietnam vet with a cardboard sign Sitting there by the left turn line A flag on his wheelchair flapping in the breeze One leg missing and both hands free No one's paying much mind to him The VA budget's just stretched so thin And there's more coming back from the Mideast War We can't make it here anymore That big old building was a textile mill It fed our kids and it paid our bills But they turned us out and they closed the doors We can't make it here anymore.